we go. Welcome to another episode of the Art of Outreach. My name is Mike Mitchell, and I am the Arts Director of Mount Pleasant Schools here in historically rural Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. I am also the Director of Community Outreach for the Tennessee Art Education Association. Today, our guest is Sydney Ray. I became familiar with Sydney through my good friend Sisyphon Hudavong Houghton at MTSU, and she sent me a direct message that said, check this out. And it was this incredible zine called The Remains. And I bought five copies immediately and started handing them out to people that I knew. Sydney, welcome to the podcast. Hello. So tell me a little bit about, so you teach in um, near Shelbyville or in Shelbyville, you teach at Harris Middle School, is that right? Yes, I teach in Shelbyville, Harris Middle School. And, um, and um, go ahead. Oh, I've been teaching there for about five years now. Time has gone by real quickly. It happens fast, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> Suddenly I looked up and I was like, wait, what? What time mm -hmm. is it? <laughs> yeah. So you're about to raise your second group of kids, right? So you have sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. So you've graduated a group of sixth graders once and you're about to do that again, right? I think my sixth graders are like June juniors this year. I'm really confused, but they're either juniors or seniors. And okay. I know one of my students, uh, she's like a senior and I'm just torn up about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stay, but she yeah, go off yeah. into the world. She needs to do some cool stuff. Sure. Um, how many students do you serve typically? Um, we do about a nine week schedule, and it's about a hundred students each nine weeks, about sometimes 130 to like a hundred. It matters the class sizes. Uh, so yeah a good I don't know it's about a thousand within the school it's hitting its limits soon so you're I think I hear you saying that you you work with between 400 and 520 kids a year somewhere in the neighborhood of four to right. five hundred kids um each each school year um and uh so tell me a little bit about this zine, The Remains, which is celebrating the overlooked female artist in art history. I ask a lot of people about their creative practice, which I would love to get into and find out more about like what your creative practice is for yourself outside of your classroom, if you have one that you want to talk about. But also, I was just really interested that this became a project, it sounds like when you were a graduate student, while you were also teaching. Uh, right, so this is my capstone actually for my uh, master's. I did the MTSU MALA program, so I chose to do the capstone as a final project, and I decided to focus on zines, and zines came into my life when I was teaching. I was trying to find an easy way to like make a small book because I... Um, took a class in bookbinding that was really interesting and I thought it would be empowering to my students. And so this zine 
was in process within maybe two years before I um, got to it. I knew I was going to make a zine, but then I did about, and then slowly it was revealed to me that I had to make a zine about female artists. Uh, I took an art art and society class for the Mala program, and that kind of threw me into this world of like, where are the women artists? I took another class um, where I did a little research in the community. I just went to different uh, art events and I looked for female artists and there was a wide variety of female artists, but then I did the research that didn't end up in museums or were not really talked about in the quote, quote, art world, art business world, if you want to call it that. And so then I ended, ended up writing a paper about women's voices in zines, particularly, um, kind of like where it started and then all the way up to like the Riot Girls. Uh, and then I made my own zine in my own way using um, Procreate and like Adobe to create the zines. So it's kind of clean, not necessarily a traditional zine with cut and paste but that's how I like to make my own zines. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think what yeah, I really, I think what I really loved about it was, especially just the kind of way you wrote about as this self-reflection, you were in your art classroom, you were looking at the posters on the wall, some of which you had inherited, um, some of which you had put up yourself and, and were just really um, hard on yourself. Like you just, you, you treated that moment of reflection like you would if you were walking into my classroom and someone had asked you to come in and say, hey, be reflective. Is this space as fair for the young women that this person is serving as the young men? Like, is it as fair for students of color? Is it as fair for, you just kind of went in there with like some really tough questions for yourself um, and then started doing the work of, okay, I, I have to start kind of diving in um, so that sounds like what I was reading, it sounds like there's like a, a light switch, but what I think what I hear you saying is it was more like as you were in your graduate program, there were classes and then all of a sudden it just, re you realize like, oh, I have to do this. This is, this is the, this is the, this is the answer to the, to the thing, right? Like I actually have to dive in and stop wondering why, right? Like we know that women are not represented in museums the same way. And you actually were like, okay. Um, and I loved it because some of my favorite artists are in it, but then also I was really surprised because there were women in it who I just never heard of, right? Like, I don't think I'd ever heard of, let me find, like I'd never heard of Rosa um, Bonheur or Bonhauer, like I'd never heard of her. And Which is the, odd because art history book in college, very briefly. Oh, really? And I'm just very briefly. She's known for one painting, and that's it. And no one talks about. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and I and I think the thing about that is it, that's that's it. That is this interesting, like Suzanne um, Valadon, like, and and it's the thing. It is the, I guess the thing about what the research brought into my mind is like 
even if they are in there, it doesn't mean someone covered them, right? Like you, as a teacher, as art history teachers, they're, you know, they get these entirely just like giant textbooks and they have to cover everything. And so just like in a budget of a school, arts often are the thing that gets cut first in this budget of time in art history classes, like women and people of color often get cut first, right? So like if we're if we're like, hey, well, we have to cover this. And it's like, well, we've got to get to this thing and we've got to get to impressionism and we've got to get to this. And then if we're going to cover these things, like, well, let's cover the four or five people, right? I remember in fifth grade, Mr. Dunn told us about pointillism, cubism, and impressionism. And this, that was in like 1986. And it was like, I guess a standard at whatever version of whatever 1986 looked like in Tennessee for a fifth grade classroom teacher, right? Who was teaching like however art was fit in there because I did not have an art teacher in that elementary school. I think I'm just now for the first time realizing that because I remember we got to do creative stuff, but like, yeah. So Mr. Dunn must've covered it. And I remember talking about pointillism, cubism for like five seconds, but I do remember it, right? Like he did, he did his job, like what he, 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 you know, he covered the stuff. So it's, it's really interesting that like what you're doing is you're kind of showing these people and going, you're showing us these people and you're holding that back up, not only for yourself, but also like the zine's $5. So anyone listening, like I'll put it in the show notes, like, please go get it. It's fantastic. And that just, she shows all her resources that she used. So if you want to dive in even deeper, right. So most of the women have uh, a two-page spread you've also illustrated this all yourself right yes so anyway um how what was that process like for you when you were finding these women was it just this um exciting thing where you're like oh here's this other person here's this other person here's this other person or did you know some and then just kind of get turned like onto other ones by professors or just was it like being a detective in the library I definitely went through like resources of like women artists so you can find like a pretty easy search of women artists with a google search but I decided to kind of scroll more and look for artists that weren't talked about like everyone knows like Georgia O'Keeffe I feel like she's talked about a lot and that's wonderful. That's great. I have posters of her in my classroom. The students like her work, but it's just, I was like, I'm searching for women I don't know of. So I just made like a humongous list. And then I just kind of did some like picking and choosing. And I often went to um, like my old textbooks from college to see if any of them were in there. And some of them were, some of them weren't. And I just remember it was really the first artist, like Helma Offland. Like her stuff is kind of starting to explode a little bit. So I watched like a documentary that came out like that year, and I was like, "Whoa, this is cool." So I usually try to choose these artists with like looking at their artwork and then saying like, "Whoa, they're cool," <laughs> which. It's hard to do. And I was directed a little bit because I had a mentor. Um, she directed me to Judy Chicago, which I learned about Judy Chicago. I, I know her name. She's not as, I think, like as well known as like Georgia O'Keeffe, but she was like, you need to 
research her and like I ended up reading a whole book <laughs> about Judy Chicago's life and that was just like interesting and I couldn't just put these women down each one of them was interesting and each one I had to research differently too um some of them do have like really easy accessible you know biographies you can find or movies and then some of them were a bit more obscure and are even more modern. So I had to look through like museum type, like the little pamphlets they hand out to me in museums. Like I actually had to look through some of those for like more modern artists, but it was really kind of random. And I, I think I'd say that at the end, like I was just looking through and I, I guess I, again, I was hard on myself um, because I said like, you know, these are 11 artists. Um, a lot of them are chosen and I know I have biases for them. I often lean towards European art. I'm, I am definitely interested. I've traveled a lot in Europe and um, my grandmother was French and I just have like a really heavy tie in, in Europe. But, you know, I did see that and I tried to explore beyond that. So, I knew I had like some. I think the thing that I love about what the project made me do was I had to remember I was reading a, a zine, right? Like I had to remember that like your idea of this is that this is this thing that is like in the history of zine. And so in the history of zine culture, right? Like it's you pick them up and you're like cool like this is what she put and and like we're gonna be supportive of this because there'll probably be another one right like and so it's it's not like here are all the women artists you should know it's just like this is the beginning of an investigation that I'm gonna do as a zine and so but I think because it's written in such a way illustrated and then as you pointed out you know it's got this kind of cleanliness to it in the design that doesn't feel quite as um, handmade as other zines right I think there gets into that area where it sounds like even you but other people might judge it more as like as if this were some sort of like ad hoc textbook and you're like nope it's a zine like I meant it as a zine and these are some women that I think are super rad like I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at other you know um, other other folks so anyway, but I love that about it is that the, it's like, even inside of doing it as a zine, like you brought your own version of that, which is to me, the whole point of zines is that they can be anything that people want. I do a series of zines in jars. And so they're four dimensional because they also have a QR code and it's called jar zine. And so like, I like that it's a three dimensional zine, but also it has video component and like, so I love that yours is this tidy, um, and I mean this in all caps, like celebratory way. It's kind of like got this like this nerdy feel of like, man, I just went down the rabbit hole and just research. It's got a bibliography, you know, like most zines don't necessarily have a resource page with, I mean, there's gotta be 50 like references in here. So I just think that that part of it is really cool. Do you have plans for like a part two or is that, was that a one and done? And then that just kind of like, now your research is just happening through social media, your own research. Was it just a, was your goal to just kind of like blow embers on this fire and get a bunch of us who are going to connect to this, like just excited and start 
doing our own research? I want that. <laughs> I want you to go out and do your own research. And I also would love to do more. And um, I'm inviting people to just talk to me about like cool people or cool historical people or, you know, their mom, whatever is um, relevant to them. So maybe I could do a second one and it'd be a bit more um, a community building thing where it's like, oh, I was referenced, you know, I, someone showed me this artist and then I'd go down that rabbit hole of research or if someone even wants to write, even though there's no money in zines, <laughs> that's the whole point. It's just getting ideas out there. And um, yeah, I just love how zines work. It just makes me feel so happy and like you say, like a little nerdy inside. But yeah, I did have a little pressure on me with this zine because it was a capstone project. Mm -hmm. And right. so there was there was some heavy pressure on me. And I think my writing is definitely feels that when I was researching. But I definitely enjoy the idea that someone saw the the references and resources, excuse me, and was like excited to like dive into some of these um artists so um yeah I really do want to do a second second one or even more it's just um it does take time yeah. <laughs> and I'm just sorting out my life after grad school right now and hopefully getting past I feel like we're still tugging away from 2020 uh -huh. slowly I'm trying to like build up um some more artists to look into definitely take some time though <laughs> but yeah. um, do you show your have your students seen your zine like your middle school students i um have shown them some other zines i've made and i have like a little zine box that i bring in when we gotcha. talk about zine um i've not shown them this one um necessarily i think um, I'm always a bit shy with my students um, with uh, written work, but I'm shy with anyone with written work. But um, some of them have seen it and they've looked through um, the art, especially. But I've not shown them this particular zine quite yet. Has it changed the posters on your wall? Like in your classroom, like did it make you start pulling stuff down? Are you editing those in a different way? Or are you just adding more or what, how did that, I'm curious about that. So the posters on my wall, uh, it all came from the moment um, someone said they were gonna paint our walls and we had to take everything down, which made me mad because I have so much on my wall. So um, coming back, a day during that whole quarantine thing I took all the posters down and then when I came back I had to put all the posters back I think that's when I was looking at them and I that's when I kind of the the wheel started to turn I'm like there's not much diversity here is there and so I counted my posters but then I hung them up as what I had um but what I did is I did label some of them as like this is a female artist and then I also did, you know, this is uh, African-American. This is, you know, such and such. So I started to like label them a little bit and I just wanted to see what my student did with that information. 
I just, I never mentioned it. I didn't sit there and point out like, that's the one right there. I just kind of let that breathe. And I think one student may have mentioned it to me, but I think I see the students sometimes read like that little post-it note that I have. It's not a post-it note, but it's a little piece of paper. Um, And they just kind of go, "Hmm, okay. And I'm just hoping to plant a seed in them. This is, you know, made by a woman and this is made by a person of color. And I try to point different stocks out. I've not spent any money on posters this year, um, but I am looking forward to figuring out some better posters for my students. To look at. And I have tried to um, just add different artists into my lessons that I already have. I'm not trying to rewrite my whole life um, right, right now, but um, I did like a pop art with my eighth graders and I just included some different artists in there in my little like, here's some pop art we can look at. And this is what it looked like in the 50s, 60s and 70s. So I've just been slowly adding little little pieces here and there. Yeah, I, and I think that's an interesting thing. I don't, I don't want, uh, this isn't a Confederate monument situation, right? Like I don't want Georgia O'Keeffe posters to go away or for Matisse posters to go away or for MC Escher posters to go away. I just want what you're talking about, which is like, let's make sure Ashley, um, Let's make sure, um, oh my gosh, her name just dropped out, dropped out of my head. Ashley Sherald, you know, it's like, let's get her up there too, right? Like, let's let's let kids be excited about MC Escher, but then also position another artist that also makes equally cool work, but just is more contemporary and is coming from a different perspective that might be more representative of every kid in that room, right? Like, um, I think that that's what's, what I think is really valuable. And I think it's what the Gorilla Girls, I think it's what everyone has been arguing for all along. No one was saying, get Andy Warhol out of the museum. You know, they're just saying, just let us in, you know, like we just want in too. Like, and we want in because we actually think Andy Warhol's like super rad. We just think our work's super rad too and want it to be side by side with his work so that we can all look at our work you know nobody wants let's not burn all the Cy Twombly paintings they're so wonderful and squiggly and all the really coolness of those that work but you know also Sally Mann was making work you know right beside him and from the same city and they were friends and like let's let's tell that story have you read her that um her bio her autobiography um I think it's hold still oh what's that oh yeah is this this the start of another artist (laughs) well well, she I mean she in you know her work has been very heavily documented especially in the 90s when she was photographing her her young kids like seven eight nine ten without their clothes on like just in the natural state of them like just swimming in the swimming hole and like just being on the property and so she would print these pictures of maybe a nine-year-old or 10-year-old. And then I think her son was maybe even like 11 or 12. And it got to a spot where like it became a national story in the 1990s. There were some conservative senators that just really saw her as like the, the demon of 
why NEA grants were bad because they're giving this money to these artists who are exposing their kids in these ways. And, um, and then the other side was saying, you know, there, there's the other side saying, no, these are beautiful photographs of these moments that are happening inside of a family. And there's nothing, these, these things are not meant to be objectifying these kids in any way, shape or form. And so her work is highly documented and museums have collected it, many even as a result of that kind of controversy. But, but still, like the idea that she and Cy Twombly were friends and like did studio visits and she came in and photographed a lot of his work and him photographing in his later years, they were several generations apart, right? It's still interesting that a lot of people just don't know her. And she, the other side about that that's really fascinating is we so this comes back to this comes back to like women artists but also i think just in the general like living in the south right so rauschenberg right rauschenberg cy twombly jasper johns right are all southern mm -hmm. southerners mm -hmm. and we almost i never thought about that until she said it in that book and i'm just like what they are like oh my goodness because I think about those guys in relationship to New York and Paris and these larger cities but they were all southerners and we we get sold this idea about women we get sold this idea about southern artists we get sold this idea about like regionalism I just read Ruth Asawa's it wasn't an official biography but um, you know she was in San Francisco and so she kind of was a kind of got tucked into that kind of regional work as well until someone from Sotheby's came and kind of like repositioned her on a national stage and her work went from selling for like $150,000 to like $1.8 million because they were able to do what, Sydney? They were able to show it side by side with other comparable work of that generation in a like on a national stage. And so I think that's that's what I think is happening with those little notes with your kids, right? You're, you're reminding, like without even saying anything, they're reading and you're going, oh, right? Like women can make really cool art. Like I remember seeing it in middle school. Yeah, like, you know, when they're in high school and someone's like, well, there's no famous women artists. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and they're like, yeah, I remember, remember we were in Miss Ray's class and they're like, you know, she had the little notes, like they were all over the place, you know? Um, so to me, that's that I think at a micro level, right at the zine level, at the like the level in which you can and I and other teachers listening to this can kind of institutionalize this knowledge is through our classrooms and through conversations with kids and through zines and through like word of mouth, right? Because and I think that is is part of the the power of being an art teacher is having that ability to do that. It, um, even and then also then. I think that helps advocate at the larger level too for museum spaces to do, right? Because that's this whole other level of doing it for this like kind of global public to kind of think about. Um, yeah, like I've never, I, like like some of the women I thought maybe I've heard of before, but I've never heard of Hilma off Klimt. Like not even a little oh, bit, yeah. not even a little tiny bit. And the work looks so cool. Yeah, I think her work is actually being shown this year somewhere, and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I need to go. Right. But yeah, I, I again, I've, I may have heard of a few of these, myself, and then it just kind of accumulated into um, 
just slow research. I actually got a book from the library at school because <laughs> I'm friends with a librarian and it was about women artists and that introduced me to a ton of artists I've never heard of and it was a children's book and I was mm -hmm. like this is awesome mm -hmm. and so I picked a few from there too inspired me but yeah all these women they often were working side by side with men um I think Suzanne uh, Valadon she was definitely working next like next to a man um yeah Yayoi Kusama I said her name wrong probably excuse me she probably she worked with along men and it's just kind of like there's these women right there they're in the pictures <laughs> if there's pictures they're usually just standing there their work is side by side with men you know it's interesting about her um you know, she was in New York and was making work. Like you said, she was in that kind of milieu of the 60s artist and was like ready to be a star, wanted to be a star, and then kind of had a psychic break. And so she moved back to Japan and she has, I think, lived in a like inpatient, outpatient like facility for like a long time. So she's always had mental health yeah, I care. Um, and, and, but can come and go as she pleases and has her studio situation set up. I just think it's interesting that Ruth Asawa, she had six kids, right? So she was at Black Mountain College with Rauschenberg. She was at Black Mountain College when Joseph Albers was there teaching. Like, it's interesting that men, when men have situations that are like life, right? When life comes up for men, in the art world, often someone will follow, there'll be a champion there that will kind of follow with them and make sure that they don't just get pulled away from the art world, right? When women have those situations happen, historically, it seems like there's not that superstructure there. It's like, well, she can't handle it, so we're just gonna let her go. And you can see that kind of like over and over again where, and what's cool about so many of those women right? Like the, the part of the story that's cool is like women like you and lots of other women, lots of other historians have been like, yep, our, our suspicion is they kept making work. We're going to go figure it out and we're going to uncover it. And then we're just going to say like, yeah, like even when they didn't have the luxury of the structure, right? What is the quote that you have on the back? It says, um, the, mir uh, the, the miracle is, in fact, that given the overwhelming odds against women and Blacks, that so many of both have managed to achieve so much sheer excellence in those ballywicks of white masculine prerogative like science, politics, or the arts from Linda Nochlin. And that was from like 1971, right? Is she saying like, of course they're there. Right. And it's almost surprising that like we even do know the one that Georgia O'Keefe is like it's like that's even surprising because she had to fight against all of that stuff too right and um and Augusta Savage like the idea that that one sculpture that showed at the World's Fair in 19 whatever is arguably one of the most seen sculptures in the history of the 19 you know the 20th century and it just got destroyed after the World's Fair like they just broke it and there's no it doesn't exist that's a painful one. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think sometimes the women artists just um, their work is not seen as like good um, or 
not necessarily good, but it's not seemed as important, like groundbreaking. Um, like Rosa Bonaire, like they said, like she paints like a man. They didn't even know she was a man. Like, so they thought she was a man. And she was like, no, I'm a woman, just a young woman over here. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like that they had to fight a lot of times just to keep making art. And a lot of them ended up being teachers of some sort. If, you know, they, um, I think that quite a few of them ended up being teachers, if not just skill teachers, but teachers because they, you know, they needed to make some money and then they were making art too. Yeah, in the Ruth Asala book, she developed the artist in residence program in the city of San Francisco in the 1960s and 70s and 80s and fought for the San Francisco uh, High School for the Arts, which is now named after her. And she was in the um, internment camps, Japanese internment camps in the 40s, um, which were really, I found out through the book, were actually prior to them being called internment camps, internment was a word that the US government used as a marketing term, because in the documentation that has now been uncovered in the meetings, like several months prior to that, they just referred to them as concentration camps. And so they, they'd always intended them for the, them to be that. That's what, they, that's what they were. They were very intentionally, all the guard towers faced inwards, none of them faced outwards. So, but anyway, so, you know, that story of like, not only is she, you know, the, the, the ton of racism, but also just the sexism. And then the school, high school for the arts in San Francisco, which has produced a ton of really like, you know, incredible talent, like named after this woman who, in spite of all of this other stuff and still trying to get her work, she saw that it was important for her to use whatever leverage that she had to make sure that kids from all over her city were getting the arts because she didn't think they were getting them enough. And she was on museum boards. And I just think it's really, 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 really interesting as to how many of those women not only said whether they were or weren't bitter, right? Like I would think they probably would be, but that they didn't, they didn't allow that bitterness to stop them from like one, continuing to make really great work. And then two, also often become educators or advocates in like, yeah. a really important way so that they to help make sure that that was not going to happen to um you know the kids behind them and the you know the the people behind them Sydney besides the zine like I know that you're probably that's probably absorbed a lot of your time graduate school probably absorbed a lot of your time typically though when you're in your life do you also have like a creative visual art practice are you making things are you a person that's busy with your hands or have our zines the thing that are like keep you occupied i am always busy with my hands um i, I don't know if you can see but I, like i have cut my hand <laughs> i like just cut it off with a with a, a exacto knife recently but yeah i'm always busy with my hands i'm always fiddling i um Definitely have gone through a little bit of a slower state when I was in grad school, uh, but quarantine, I learned how to sew. <laughs> uh, I've, I'm always doing something. I'm doing watercolors. I do a little side gig with like watercolors houses for realtors. They send, they give them as little gifts. Uh, I am always doing something. It's, if, 
I, I knit, <laughs> I have different projects going on. I knit, I sew, I want to do watercolors. I have like a, an easel back here. Um, my studio is always a mess because I'm doing five things at once. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always doing something with my hands. I had a student ask me why I do art. And I was like, I think it's just an addiction to creating at this point. I'm addicted <laughs> to creating. Right. So yeah, I'm always making something. <laughs> Um, uh, zines I love zines um, but that's not the only thing I do <laughs> we kind of talked about what we've been talking about the whole time through the zine I typically will ask people like how advocacy becomes part of their practice either through teaching or through their artwork and clearly this zine is this gigantic advocacy tool that um, I hope will continue to spread I've certainly used it that way right like I bought it and I gave it to a young told you there's a young girl who um, I know her family and she's an artist and I have just kind of taken it upon myself to make sure that when I'm going to the art supply store when I buy something for myself I make sure I get Nora something too right like if I'm like find, looking for books like I'll grab you know I'm gonna make sure and then I just drop them in the mailbox and and I'll drop her little weird objects and be like what do you think this was for and then just like you know she just and so like I got her a copy and I've given them to a couple of teachers and everyone who I've told about it, it's been like real excited about it. I put it on my social media. So I feel like the outreach is like the zine itself is the outreach. Um, are there other ways in which in your like practice as a teacher, are you encouraging do you guys do community art projects? Are there other outreach things that you do, painting murals, et cetera, in your classroom? I um, I was working towards this right when uh, COVID happened last year. Um, I was trying to get the art club to like be more unified because um, I do that twice uh, a week after school. But um, this year has become more of just like a place to be. And that's that's OK. I always find like a lot of my students just want to be somewhere with their friends. Um, and I'm just trying to get back into maybe doing a mural. I've had some students get excited with that idea. It's just right now it feels a little slow and a little dead <laughs> in the water right. for schools, um, at least where we are. But um, I, I try to just be there right now. And that sounds kind of strange, but it, I try to just like always do um, we have fun Fridays after school and I'll sit there and do like board games with students. Um, students, some reason open up to me. I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm a listener for sure. So students will just open up with me and just like come and chat and talk about life. And a lot of them are going into high school now. So a lot of them are wanting to chat and talk and they'll open up. So I'm just kind of being there right now. I do hope to get the art club going full force again i have a kiln i need to figure out how it works <laughs> i don't think it's worked for 10 years so i'm still kind of like i feel like i'm still like a little oh i don't want to say this wrong i feel like i'm always like still learning and i feel like i'm right now just in a big learning stage and i feel like my zine tells you that too i'm still mm -hmm. learning and i'm open to that and i probably won't ever learn everything but I feel like right now I'm just in a learning stage, even though I'm a teacher. 
For sure. And it sounds like um, this idea of like listening as advocacy is this really interesting um, way to think about that is um, Juan Rojo, who I interviewed down in Memphis, taught me, you know, I think a lot of times we think about outreach, right? So listening is outreach, right? Like um, we think about outreach is like, well, I got a group of kids and we went to work on Saturday and we helped people who didn't have something that we had, right? That's outreach. And it's like, no, outreach is reaching out beyond yourself. It's reaching out beyond your classroom. And Juan was like, well, I don't do outreach other than like, we try to do a mural every year in the building. And I'm like, whoa, tell me more about that. Like, you know, like that's, that helped me understand when I'm talking to be when I'm talking to people about outreach, it's like you have an art club two days a week. There's outreach, right? Like you're you're doing this outreach of saying like, hey, there's not these kids have art with me, but I still think they need even more. And then in, in addition to that, you're like, oh, I'm going to be outreach because I'm going to be a voice for these kids who I've been working with, who I've built these relationships with, um, and like that I built these relationships with, and I'm going to be a, just a listening ear for them as they're struggling with this idea of like moving to high school which is super stressful for kids in Canada, right? Um, so anyway, it sounds like that the outreach is that you just being aware that through the way that you're conducting your class, that you, you're a trusted voice, you're a trusted ear with your kids, and then you're just making space for them to be there. It sounds pretty amazing. Um, an hour has come and gone and you were a little nervous about what we would have to, what you might have to say. And um, so I'm curious right now in this particular moment, a thing and then a person and then a place that you're grateful for. Okay. Let's go with person because that's easy. Um, I'm really um, grateful and thankful for my husband. Uh, Stephen, I married him like two years ago. I don't know what time is anymore. I feel like we've known each other forever, but um, he's been very supportive. Uh, we, I mean, I would, I would have night classes two nights a week. I would have homework after um, the two nights, and I had art club for two two nights. So I mean, he's just been like, okay, you want to go, go back to school? That's fine. So he is kind of I'm just really thankful that he's just like okay that's awesome like he, I didn't have to fight him you know like a hundred years ago I would have had to fight my husband and go just get in high school education after school so I'm just like really thankful that he's just like really chill uh totally supportive of anything that I decide to do as long as I'm not harming anyone in the process that's um, awesome what was the other a place and a place a thing okay um place I would say I'm really thankful um for my parents home and I know that sounds kind of funny they live kind of in the middle of nowhere and it's just I'm really thankful that I lived in a place that was rural and was away and I I just love to go there they built a house on like my grandmother's um land and it's just so peaceful and beautiful and I'm just like oh yeah this is why I miss this place because I love to travel but then like 
I want to come back here. And I'm just happy for that, that place where I can feel calm and happy. And the idea that I grew up in a place that was so calm and relaxing and beautiful. I know not everyone gets that opportunity. A lot of my students don't live in a calm, beautiful So I'm thankful for that. And Thane, oh my good Thane. I'm, <laughs> this might sound silly. I'm thankful for my printer. <laughs> um, I'm actually printing things out of my printer. <laughs> right. <laughs> at home. And I wasn't expecting as many people because you ordered five and then I've had other people order I think that may have you may have like brought them in <laughs> um to my website to order and then I had even more people at, and I was like what <laughs> I'm so happy this printer works so like I've I fought with it I fight with every printer but I think I've learned its ways but yeah I'm just really happy I'm able to make like like cool stuff with a printer I know that sounds yeah. weird but I've never had a cool printer right. and um, the zine is made with like long paper. So I'm able to do it on the long, like right. big size paper. So it's just really cool. And I don't have to go somewhere to like Xerox it, um, right. which I still copies from my school or small baby zines, but I'm just happy. I don't have to like go out and deal with masks and sure. deal with all the, that that stuff so i'm just happy i can just do some things at home <laughs> oh my well, i am grateful that sisyphon reached out and said hey you should check this thing out i am grateful if that is true that some people who saw either me talk about it i mean because i've told everyone that i've you know know like hey you should really this is amazing you should check it out you should you know um and the people that i gave copies to i think they probably told people about them and so um so I'm grateful for that. But I'm just also just grateful for, you know, you said something there right at the end. You said, you know, a lot of your students don't have that space that you grew up in. But I, I hope that you, I hope that you hear me say that I feel like I, from what you've said, you're at least offering as much as you can back to them because you said, I don't know what it is about them opening up to me. Like, I don't know what it is. And I've known you through the zine and then now for an hour and I feel comfortable talking to you. And so I bet it has to do with that because you value that piece and that space and you've twice said kind of like slow, you've said the word slow, like slow research and that you're working slowly in your studio. I bet those kids are responding to that, that responding to that sense of peace and calm that you're providing for them, which is gigantic, right? Like, I mean, you and I both remember that you know, being kids can sometimes feel really tumultuous, even as a, even though as adults, we understand how to manage those emotions now better, right? But when you're a kid, you don't like it. It just, if it, if it just feels like there's a tidal wave, it feels like there's a tidal wave. It doesn't matter if it's real or should feel that way. It's just like, that's just the way it feels. And so um, it sounds like you're able to provide that space for them, right? That calm, that area and it doesn't sound like you get in too much of your own way about saying this has to be art club even right like it sounds like you're saying okay if this just becomes hangout for a little while that's also really valuable too right like people people need to feel belonging kids need to feel belonging so 
I think that's really great. So I'm grateful for that and for that space that you're making for those kids in Shelbyville. I'm sure that they will be forever grateful for that. So thanks so much for taking the time. Where can people find you online and where can people buy this zine? Um, I'm Sydney Sunray on Instagram and my website is, is through my Instagram. You can find it. Um, it's like Sydney Sunray dot square dot space uh, space site site um it's through square so it's really easy to use okay and i will put that in the show notes sydney thanks so much for taking the time today i really really appreciate it well thank you yep all right i'm gonna stop recording and then also i've got a split to get to another meeting but thank you thank you thank you i really appreciate it okay thank you see you have a good